Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for those gathered in this room and those virtually through technology And we come before your majestic throne as sons and daughters, and we're asking that you would simply touch us through your word. Lord, it says in your word that your word gives us faith. Your word is like spiritual nourishment to our soul. And so we're asking tonight that your word would touch our heart, and that as we look into the book of Acts and we look at the early church, we would gain strength for our lives in this particular moment in history, Lord. We thank you that we can look back thousands of years and gain strength from these timeless truths of Scripture. So Holy Spirit, make them real to us. Lord, I am simply a person, a human being. I pray that you would speak through me Lord, I speak the words, but you open and touch the hearts, and so I'm asking that, God, you would do what only you can do. Touch our hearts, Lord, and bring us to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jesus plus nothing. The gospel of Jesus plus nothing. You may have noticed I've, I've been doing a little thinking on this today. Everything nowadays has a plus at the end of it. Have you noticed? <laughs> It's like the new thing, the new meta trend. And so there's Disney Plus. I remember when it was just Disney. We probably remember that. There's uh, ESPN Plus, which I enjoy. Actually, with my Verizon package, I get all of them for free. So it's pretty cool. There's uh, Paramount Plus, and there's some pluses that are doing good. Some that I think CNN tried to have a plus, and that didn't work out. So they. But it just seems like there's this, you know, this, it's the way things go. There's trends and they last for a while. Then the new thing, you know, we're all old enough to realize this. My kids, maybe not so much. But it's, it's a moment we're in right now. And so I've been thinking, man, churches should do like a sermon series on like Jesus plus and how like we don't need plus on, you know. So I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be that guy. And I'm going to do a a message, and I'm going to talk about this concept of Jesus plus and how we don't need the plus at the end of Jesus. You know, we have in the kind of the consumer world, we have all these companies saying, you know, well, we've been Disney all along, but now we're going to have Disney plus, and there's more if you just give us some of your money. And so there's this kind of, you know, all these companies trying to do a little extra, get a little money. But I wanted to talk about with Jesus, all we need is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus minus nothing. Jesus only is what we need. And, uh, and so I'm going to get into some scriptures here in a moment. But if you think about historically and even in our day, 
there are um, a number of groups, there's a number of sects, there's a number of cults who say Jesus is good plus a few things, you got to have that too. And, and so I just wanted to address that the historical gospel that was given to us beginning in the book of Acts is a man, Christ Jesus, plus nothing else, minus nothing else. And that is getting harder and harder for people. And maybe it's kind of ebbed and flowed throughout societies and throughout histories, but there seems to be confusion with a lot of people that we don't add extra things on to the Jesus of the Bible to get salvation or to know God or to do a church. And as I, you know, I'm, I'm older now. I've followed the Lord for 20 years, praise God. You know, I've learned a trick or two. And, you know, so I look back at the teens and the 20-year-olds and I just kind of go, there's so many things that people are confused about that, oh yeah, we got to tell them that that's an error. That's, you know, do this. Or, you know, that's like our responsibility as adults. And so, um, you know, for example, I remember when I first, you know, got saved and started to learn about all the different kind of groups out there and all the different religions. I mean, we all have to learn things, but, you know, there's groups uh, like Mormons who say, you know, we love Jesus, but there's this guy named Joseph Smith who's really cool too, and let's spend all of our time studying that guy. No, no, Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus, don't, you know, we don't, and then there's other groups. There's the uh, Jehovah's Witness. They say, yeah, Jesus is cool, but he's not really that big of a deal. And so they kind of do a minus Jesus a little bit. No, no, we don't do plus. We don't do minus. We just, we go with the Jesus that was given to us in scripture, the real historical Jesus of the Bible, you know, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, lived to be about 33 so lived, died, you know, was buried, raised from the dead, ascended after appearing to many witnesses, is coming again. That's the historical gospel. We cannot move on this at all. If we do, we cease to be the historical church. Because there's really one church that has transcended the last 2,000 years. It's a global body of people that believes in this man and I feel like you know I just got done preaching a sermon series on Matthew 24 and 25 Jesus said there'd be many deceivers there'd be many false prophets and what issues specifically are they going to focus on well there's just going to be confusion about well who is this Jesus guy anyway I mean is it really don't don't we need something besides just faith and the answer is no it's just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's flip over to Acts because there isn't just a contemporary concern. There's been concerns all along. As soon as the initial revival broke out, which I talked about last week at Pentecost, so they are in a prayer meeting, the Spirit comes, and there's just an explosive power of God begins to manifest. And thousands are saved. Anytime there's a gathering, thousands get saved. Anytime they go to a new city, practically the whole city gets saved. And, and I would highly recommend, get yourself into the book of Acts. It is so wild in the most glorious way. Read through it. Uh, I'm going to be going through it. But 
So they preach the gospel, and of course, people are getting saved, so that means religious people get jealous, and so there's all these controversies. And, and so in one of these you know, breakthrough moments, there's a contention. We're about halfway through the book of Acts, and, and throughout the next few weeks, I'm going to kind of go back and forth and just pick different topics, and I might set aside the series and do a new series and then come back to studies on Acts. So it's going to be here for a while. But I wanted to hit this tonight because this is important. In Acts 15, there's a conflict. And what we have here is Paul, and I have to find where exactly I'm at. In Acts 15, 1, I'm just going to read it. It says, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there was this, you know, Paul's preaching. He got saved. Saul of Tarsus, you know, same person. He's preaching. People are converting. All kinds of stuff's happening. And the apostles are journeying around together. And, you know, again, there's people who, you know, well, there's... There's ways we do things, and there's things we've always believed, and there's traditions, and you're preaching this new thing, and so we want to put a few rules in too because we don't want people to just get saved that easy. And so Paul and the apostles are constantly debating with people like, no, I know that culturally you had to follow the law of Moses for your righteousness, but now... In order to be saved from our sins, we put our faith in this man who was crucified and raised from the dead. That's it. And, and I, as a communicator, I just want to hold the line on this and you know consistently share. It's like the gospel, when you hear it the right way, it's refreshing. Because we live in such a works Society, we live in such, there's so many competing ideologies that are trying to wear us out. And Jesus, real Christianity, Jesus says, Come to me if you're weary, I'll, I'll give you rest. And, and there's rest in knowing that we can believe in him and be completely saved and not have to jump through hoops the rest of our life. And there are many religions where it's like, if you don't jump through hoops the rest of your life, you might not really be saved. I mean, there, there are, the major religions of the world are all different than Christianity. For example, in Islam, you might be, you know, a faithful follower of Allah, but you get to heaven and, and Allah says, you know what, I'm not feeling right today. You don't get in. That's what they believe. That's according to Muslim ideology, there's, there's a temperamental God upstairs and you might not make him happy on the very last day and so you don't get in. You don't, you don't get that version of paradise. But the true living God shown to us in Christ is you believe in him and you're saved. And you spend the rest of your life joyfully working that out, knowing you're saved, not trying to get more saved or trying to secure something that already happened. It's such good news. And I love talking about it. Acts 15, let me back up. Acts 15, so 
Paul and the apostles are preaching this faith in Christ. People don't like it. We've got to have more rules. We've got to add something to it. So they're telling people, I mean, again, this is ancient Jewish culture where you would typically be circumcised on the eighth day. They're telling people, if you don't do that, you can't be a Christian. So they tried to put plus onto the gospel, plus onto Jesus. But we don't need Jesus plus. We got Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just bear with me. It's, it's a bad analogy, but I'm trying. <laughs> we don't need the plus. It's, there's all the benefits are in the one name, Jesus Christ. He's, he's enough. I love down in verse 24. See, here's the thing, and this is where religion gets sneaky. You know, when people tell you, well, there's Jesus, and then you just got to get circumcised, it's never just that. And I wouldn't say this if I didn't experience this myself. I have in 20 years heard the wildest things come out of the mouth of Christians. Eventually, what this group is getting at, if you go to verse 24, we see a word that could almost you would almost never notice unless you read it slow. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, they're telling you you must be circumcised and keep the law to be saved. And so, you know, they're, they're confronted with this group saying, okay, yeah, believe in Jesus, but also you got to get circumcised. And then somewhere in there, they're also saying, and by the way, keep the whole law. Here's the thing. Jesus came, he said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so there's value in knowing the law. There's value in principles. We don't follow every dietary rule. We don't follow every single. And so let me untouch that. Let's come over to the New Testament. As New Testament believers, we have we have one responsibility, that's to believe. And in believing in Christ, we fulfill the law. We're not going, okay, what are the thousand requirements? Okay, I got to do, I got to, okay, believe in Jesus, do the thousand requirements and get circumcised. I hope I get saved one day. We don't do that. So keep coming with me here. So Acts 15.1, Acts 24. So he runs into this controversy all right, and so they have this council to meet together. Guys, there's, because of the culture we live in, and every society has its culture, and so it has its predicaments as, as applied to the gospel. So they work through this together. They come up with a couple, not, not a law, but they just come up with suggestions. They come up with things to say, okay, based on our understanding of all you need to do is believe in Jesus, here's some things that we also want you to keep in mind. You don't need to be circumcised, but keep these things in mind because the Gentile population had been known to be immoral. They said, don't be immoral. Okay, so believe in Jesus, but keep these areas in mind. So they, they talk about all these things. And then we get over to Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 30 and 31 Paul and Silas are ministering together. They get in trouble because they're preaching the gospel and there's a lot of people who don't like it. By the way, Saul was one of the most elite Jewish followers of the law you could ever invent. 
I mean, this is, this, he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he, he knew this stuff inside and out. And praise God, he picks a guy like Saul of Tarsus, who we also call Paul, who knows the ins and outs of this stuff to undo it for people. Because he was fully into all the little, okay, we can't do this, we can't do that, can't, you know. Every little minutia he knew about. And so he knew the Jewish brain so well. And so I just praise God that God used a man that kind of knew the system. Of course, he ministered to non-Jews as well. But I make a point in mentioning that there's, there's many conflicts that come up as they preach this, what, what was essentially a radical transformation of thinking Instead of law-based righteousness, they have a faith-based righteousness. They don't do all these things to, to please God. Whoa, I'm a little <laughs> out of balance there. They just believe. And that's crazy. That's crazy. Some people can't accept it. In Acts 16, they're in jail. They're singing at midnight. Love the story. Verse 25, Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns. Suddenly a great earthquake, the prison doors open up. You guys know the story. The, the person in charge of the jail, he thinks they all leave. And so he says, no, and Paul says, no, don't hurt yourself. We're still here because he was about to end his own life. Paul says, don't do that. Calls for a light, runs in, falls down trembling. This is verse 29. Trembling in front of Paul and Silas. And this is just beautiful. He says, they bring him out and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If there is a clearer, how do I get saved question in the Bible, I don't think you're going to find it. I think it's right here. I think... It's almost as if God knew people would want to know, what do I have to do to be saved from my sins, follow Jesus, be in eternity forever? What do, he's down there trembling. And so Paul has this opportunity not only to tell him, but to tell future generations, here's what you do. You believe on the Lord Jesus. Not follow the law. Not get circumcised on the eighth day or whatever you, not jump through hoop. How do I get saved? Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. What an answer. Perhaps the greatest theologian ever to live outside of Jesus himself. What do I got to do to get saved, Paul? I'm desperate. My life is on the line because if you guys get out, they'll kill me. And so I'm thinking of taking my own life. What do I got to do to get out of this? believe in Jesus. I love that. It puts a zeal in me. I, I, as a leader, I feel responsible to hold the line on what's the true gospel. When people add to it, it bothers me. It should bother ever. It should bother believers. When, when they take away from it, it should bother us. But it's becoming more common. There's more confusion out there. What do I do, sir? What do I do to be saved? I can't wait for the day where people ask this question on the regular. What do I got to be? What do I got to do? You believe on, on Jesus. What about after that? <laughs> you keep believing. 
Well, that's not good enough. You believe in Jesus after that. And you just do it every day. Now, we know there's more to it. There's 1,500 pages in our Bible, but that's the door in. There's no other door. It's Jesus plus nothing minus nothing. And we've got to be reminded of this constantly. Man, I, I have had so many conversations over the years. I mean, and there's always every season, there's like a new expression of a false gospel that, I, that kind of rubs up against what I'm doing. And there's a few people who come in and they're really into like, we love Jesus, but let's do the law also. I've heard that one many times. Oh, I love Jesus, but here's another testament that has our favorite guy. Eh? I really love Jesus, but, you know, there's this other, you kind of have to be in our denomination. No, that's not it either. Well, I love Jesus and I believe he can save me, but you have to be baptized this and that and be in our denomination, go to our church, believe our doctrine. None of that gets you saved. Those are all good, but they don't save the soul. The only thing that gives us salvation is Jesus. And here's the thing. You can be at an altar quietly weeping. You can be driving in your car. You, anyone who wants to be saved can be saved. They just believe in Jesus. Here's the thing. I, I, I heard a, a little sermon clip this actually shows up on Twitter a couple times a year. I'll see it show up in my feed. Someone will repost it. But a guy that maybe you've heard on the radio, Alistair Begg, he's a well-known preacher, uh, got kind of an accent, and he does this sermon on the, the thief on the cross. And it's an amazing illustration of how you believe in Jesus and nothing else, and you're saved. Or else, how does he get into paradise? Because... Didn't belong to a church, wasn't part of a denomination, wasn't baptized, had nothing. In fact, he does this funny little, goes on and on for a few minutes because the, the, the thief gets to heaven and he's like, where, where am I? And the angel comes and, you know, opens the booklet. Uh, who are you, sir? I, I, I don't I, I mean, I'm just a thief and just died. <laughs> Here I am. And well, how did you get here? Did you, did you know the doctrine of justification? You know, and so he kind of plays this out. And the guy, the thief, ends up saying, you know, in the story, the only way I know I'm here is that the guy on the middle cross said I could come here. That's the only way I know. And that's just, it's like the most beautiful, simplistic. The gospel, it's simple but not simplistic. But it's beauty, it, it's it's beautiful that we just believe and we're in. And there's, there's just such a rest when we know we don't have to keep working for salvation. I, I study church history. I read books. We have struggled throughout the millennia to really just hold the line on this. In fact, I've done a lot of studying. I mean, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting a PhD on it. <laughs> I use that term. Uh, some people study all day. You know, I haven't done that, but... I've read into revivals of the past and, you know, just because revival's going on doesn't mean people have good doctrine. And, you know, I've been studying into the Azusa revival and one of the prominent doctrines during the Azusa revival was you could fall in and out of salvation based on how you behaved. And so you're like kind of in, you're saved and then you got mad at somebody so you're not saved, you got to get it back. And that's just not how it is. And I do think 
that someone who has once professed that they love Jesus down the line, they just they have the power to go, you know what, I am just not in. Maybe they were never genuine. I think we can throw it away. But the, the idea that we fall in and out of it or the idea that we need to work for it, I don't see it. I, I see people who maybe make a false profession who never really change and they maybe went to church once, but they never really changed. I, I'm not in the business of saying you are, or you aren't, only God knows. But here's the thing. I want to lead people to be devout. I don't want there to be any question. And I never want there to be a question on how you get in. And as, as believers, let's never make it complicated. I've heard some people, well, so-and-so came to me and they wanted to know how to know Jesus. And so I told them the 12 things. And it's like, bro, I know you think you you think you're smart, but that's a false gospel. <laughs> we we don't tell people the twelve steps to get saved. There's one step. It's you believe in Jesus, and then because what they're worried about is well, I need to tell them they need to pray and read the Bible and fast and repent and this and that. And it's like the Holy Spirit will get them there. Your job is to point them to this man, and then that man will take them the rest of the way. You don't have to do 50 years of discipleship in one moment. And that's where it's like, well, I, you know, I know they need to get to church. and just If they're interested in Jesus, just tell them he's the most beautiful man you've ever met. And if you don't know that he's beautiful, you find out so that you can tell people. But he's the greatest man I've ever met. Never seen him with my eyes, but love him deeply. Moses uh, spoke of this, you know, this idea that God is invisible, but we love him. And so praise God that though we don't see him tonight, one day we will, and, and that love will be validated. Oh, man. So they, they tell this man, here's what you do. You believe on the Lord. You get saved. You and your house. Now, he's not saying here, if you get saved, your household will get saved. Uh, or, or any, I mean, he's, he's, what they're saying here is, we're going to preach the gospel to your whole house. Okay? So it's not like, you know, some people misconstrue that. It's so they go, they preach to the whole household. Every one of them believe and they're baptized immediately. They're as saved as Paul is at that point. I mean, the moment they're like, I'm in, they're in. Now, they have to, for the rest of their life, walk with the Lord, but they're in. And I just never want us to, to misunderstand that. Again, today in our day, there's many people adding a plus onto Jesus. Jesus plus Joseph Smith. Jesus plus this uh, pamphlet. Jesus, I know of people who truly and sincerely believe their denomination is the only real denomination. If you don't go to that denomination, you're not a true Christian. And they hurt people. And, and, and many Christians don't even know how common this is. And I, it's not my business to like be like, you know, heavy handed, but it's a great error when we have the audacity to say our church or our denomination or our little doctrine is the one true one. What? That's the stuff we run from that. I don't want to, but it's out there, so we got to be aware of it. But I want to be a person that points people to Jesus. I want to be a ministry that points people to Jesus, that, 
that takes off all the yokes and that that helps people to really walk with the Lord as a disciple and, you know, to go deep in the Lord, to know him as a friend and not just to be trivial. But the door in, I mean, I remember when I first got saved, my own story, I grew up with a, with a Catholic background. And so my idea of, of God wasn't really well formed. I, I never really took like, deeply praying and being theological. I wasn't really into that, but I went to mass every Sunday. Praise God, my parents took me and uh, had a belief that he was out there. But I remember the moment I first heard the gospel and it clicked. One of my friends that I was playing hockey with, he literally just said, guys, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Like it's just, that's how it is in the Bible. And I was just like, what? I'm 18 years old. I've never heard that been to mass every Sunday. I didn't know there was other things besides mass. I didn't know that there were other Christian denominations. I didn't know Protestant, Catholic. I didn't know any of that. I just thought this is what you do. And my eyes began to open at that moment that like, wow, I don't really know if I know Jesus. Here comes my buddy. My friend, I mean, everybody needs to hear what they need to hear for it to click. In that moment, it wasn't like, oh, Jesus loves you, Derek. Like, for some reason, what clicked with me was, if you're in sin, you're going to hell. And I was just like, oh. I remember sitting there going, that's new to me. And I just remember later that night, I knelt at my bed and I said, Jesus, I want to believe you like Clage Cable believes you. I didn't know what to pray. And I just remember in that moment... I felt different. I felt like I knew God. And it was like, you know, some people have this stunning altar call experience and other, you know, I, I, what to me, it was just, I was at my bedside in my basement. And I remember saying, I remember saying, Lord, I want to follow you like Clage Cable follows you. He was one of the guys I played hockey with and that I looked up to. I said that. I was like, Jesus, that guy knows you. I want to know you like that guy. And it was like, I didn't have language for anything, but I felt, I, I look back and I go, that was God. It was a peace. And it was like an affirmation, I'm with you now. And I struggled with so many things for so many years, and I still do. But I know that I know it was at that moment, right then. And God had been moving and drawing me for probably you know longer than I know, but that's, that's how it happened. I mean, whether, again, some people might hear a radio show, some people might have an altar call experience. That was how it happened to me. And it, you know, ever since then, it was just the goal is, how do I just keep close to this man? How do I keep giving him my all? And then, you know, and he went through college and then corporate life, and then he calls me to do a house of prayers. So I'm just still following that same person I met 20 years ago, just trying to get to know him better. And so, you know, I'm just going to bring this to a close and I got some, some of my kids in the back here and me but you know we go through life we hear all kinds of people have a spin on things and they got a teaching on that and they you know here's what I believe on this but but one thing we don't want to confuse people on is just the, the pure gospel and and again I'm going to just repeat myself it's simple but it's not simplistic there's so much to the gospel it's so vast but but the basic concept you believe on on Christ and you're in and I've had 
I forget which ones, the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons, they come to your door and they try to explain to you. And, and it's just like I feel for them because I know they're operating from a paradigm that is so different than just, guys, I'm in. I know you think I'm wrong. I know, and I, and I you know, I'd never argue with them because it just, they know all the arguments and it just never is good. So I just pray for them. But in a culture that is plus everything, Christianity is just Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing. We don't add to him. We don't take away from him. His name, his name alone, believing in him, that's how we experience the forgiveness of sins. What he did on the cross was sufficient to take away all of our sins. We put our faith in him Everything we've ever done is put on him at that moment. We're clean. And we do work it out for the rest of our lives. We don't work for salvation. We work from salvation the rest of our lives. And, and, and as I close, I do want to make mention of the, the uh, letter of James because James, people will always say, well, Derek, what about when James says, you know, faith without works? And I, I've got a great page of John Stott's devotional where he explains this way better than I ever could because he basically does a little one-page devotional on why does Paul's gospel seem to be by faith only and why does James have a gospel where it seems like, well, you got to have works too. And essentially they're addressing two different people, two different errors. So Paul's speaking to a people who need to hear it's by faith alone. And James is over here addressing a people who are spinning the gospel another way where it's not only just uh, faith only, we do no works after that. And so they're both addressing different people groups and errors. They're both believing that salvation is by faith, but James is emphasizing, but if you're genuinely saved, you're going to do good works as an outflow of that. And Paul would agree. They weren't preaching two different gospels. Although some get hung up on, well, it's so clear in James' letter, it's faith plus works equals salvation. And James would say, no, clearly not. It's faith equals salvation. But out of that, I'm going to emphasize there's works that you will do as an evidence of your salvation not to get saved. And so that sometimes trips people up, but it's not two different gospels. There's just one gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just, let me read Ephesians 2. This is just like, the, Paul in Ephesians is just like on another level. Maybe you re- recall Ephesians, just just reading this is like just balm. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. I love that. How have I gotten saved? Paul says, it was a gift to you simply by your faith. And that wasn't something you worked up. God gave it to you. I, ooh. I just, it wasn't because of your works, verse 9, because, because if it was, you would get proud. You would boast about, oh, I worked myself into salvation. I praise God that I can't, like tonight, go, God, I did so many works. 
Thank you for saving me. I, I, I would get so arrogant, like we all would. Paul says, nope, it wasn't because of works. Then he goes on to say, were his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so Paul makes it so clear. You've been saved by faith. It was the gift of God. You didn't work for it so that you won't boast. And now you're going to do good works. Not because you're going to get saved through them, but as an evidence of it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We'll close right there. Heavenly Father, tonight we, we just thank you for your son and we thank you for the name of Jesus and we thank you that there's salvation in no other name and that at your name, Lord Jesus, every knee will bow. And I thank you that even tonight, all through our city, all through our nation and all through the world, people who want to be saved from their sins and live for you and live with you forever, they can by putting their faith and trust in you. And I just, I thank you, God, that there is one true gospel. And I pray that you would help our spiritual community today at house, or, or here at the House of Prayer and our community in central Illinois to be a herald of the biblical gospel. To be a herald. Lord, I ask you to give your church such clarity and such grace to lead people to Christ. I pray that we would see a book of Acts like revival, yea, even more so right here in central Illinois, and that we would simply point people to this man, Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that even as we look at the book of Acts, we would even our hearts would reconnect with the simplicity of it all. I pray, Lord, that even throughout central Illinois, God, we would begin to see more of what they saw in that that first explosion of revival. I pray even in this room tonight, I pray for those on Facebook, I pray for those here in the recording, God, that there would just be this, this sense right now that we are loved by you and that you are holding us You are holding us fast. Lord, there are some worried, oh, I might lose my salvation, but they're sincere and you're gonna hold them fast all of their days, God. I pray for those tonight. They're they're kind of like, oh, I don't even know if I'm really saved. The fact that they're even thinking that shows them of their sincerity, God. I ask that you'd encourage those who are maybe doubting themselves or doubting their faith or or maybe the enemy is trying to assault them in some way, God, I'm asking that you would show them that they do love you. Oh, I pray that even as it many times throughout the book of Acts that the gospel would just move and run swiftly through our community and begin to take over in every, every sphere of our community, bringing men and women to Christ. Oh, I pray that you would just increase the number of gospel preachers, not just behind a pulpit, uh, but in neighborhoods and in community settings and workplaces, God, and uh, all over the hospitals, Father, and sports venues and parks, God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would manifest and run swiftly and be glorified, that the good news of our Savior would be heard throughout our community and far beyond. 
Lord, our nation needs you more than ever. Lord, politics is not our Savior. A party is not our Savior. Jesus, you're our Savior. Remind our nation of this. Help us to back away from partisan politics. Help us to back away from every idol that keeps you from being number one in our lives, in our families, our communities, and our nation. Holy Spirit, thank you once again for reminding us it's just you. It's just you that we need. And nothing and and no one else to get saved. Lord, we need a church community. Lord, we need disciples. Lord, there's so many things we need, but we thank you that the way in is just through you. And we say hallelujah tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.